Good morning. Is Jesus incredible? Christmas is incredible. We have been talking about how incredible Christmas is. Incredible beyond sometimes our comprehension. We might even say unbelievable, yet believable. Christmas, Jesus, all of our faith, it's definitely incredible. But it's credible. We can believe it. We've talked about it. Uh, we've touched on not just how incredible Christmas is, but how our immortal God opened up the door for us mortals to be immortal. Today we're talking about supernatural, that our supernatural God he became natural. He came into the natural world so that us natural beings could experience the supernatural. It's incredible. To get us moving in that direction, I have a question for you. Now, it's, there's no right answer here. It's yes or no. And if you are absolutely certain that for you the answer is yes, just let me know. Raise your hand. Be, show me some kind of affirmative if the answer is yes. And here's the question. If you're absolutely certain, you have no doubt, are you a child of God? Okay, lots of hands. Many will say that absolutely certain, no doubt. Now, that's a bold thing. A very bold thing to be certain of. At least it was in certain cultures in times past. I'd say in our culture, in this day and age, when it comes to this idea of being a child of God, there's kind of a broad brush, a broad generalization in many circles that we're all children of God. Everybody is a child of God, and that spans face. That goes from... Uh, New Agers to Hindu, Muslim, uh, Christians. There's this broad generalization that we are all children of God. And I, I read an article by a priest, a Jesuit priest. Now that's the Society of Jesus. These priests, they study, they get, they're smart. And this article... Uh, it was written about a variety of faiths by this uh, Jesuit. And he wrote this. I have a sister. He put sister in quotes because it's, again, kind of this generalization. We're all brothers and sisters. I have a sister who is a Hindu, and I have a sister who is a Muslim. I have learned to see their piety towards God. It has taught me to recognize the fact that we no matter what our religion or absence of it, are all co-pilgrims. We are all co-pilgrims. We are all children of God. We come from God and we return to God. Out of this Jesuit priest, there is no distinction between faith, any faith or religion, this is what he says is a reality. He says it's a fact, 
a Hindu, a Muslim, a Catholic, a secular humanist, doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. We're all children of God. We all return to God. Now, it can feel really good to say that. It can feel warm. It can feel fuzzy. But what does it do to your faith? What does it do to the doctrines that you hold on to dearly about Jesus and the cross? It just wipes it out. It renders it useless. It doesn't even matter. If we're all going back to God, what am I even doing here? Why would I even come up to preach if you can be a secular humanist or whatever and we're all going to the same place, we're all going back to God? Doesn't matter your religion or absence of it. Well, you know, that's not what biblical Christianity stands for. Biblical Christianity states there's only one way to return to God. One way. We sung about that earlier. The one and only way. Jesus, that's it. Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Jesus. This is why we celebrate that Jesus was born. It's why Christmas is so, so significant. Jesus is the one and only way to return to God. And he's the, he's the one who arrived on this earth to make that possible. It's only through Jesus that one can truly be a child of God. Only through Jesus. And we discover that in the Christmas account in the Gospel of John. And you might say, there is no Christmas account in the Gospel of John. Well, sort of, I guess. Not like a couple of the other Gospels. There isn't some big narrative. But in the opening chapter of John's Gospel, the apostle writes about Jesus coming to earth. Let's read it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I call this the Christmas, the Christmas account in the Gospel of John. It reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through the wor and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's the Christmas account in the Gospel of John. The Word, Jesus, 
became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus came to earth. That's Christmas. But John didn't give details like a couple of the other Gospels. There's no Mary. There's no Joseph. There's no manger. There's no shepherds or wise men. But there is God the Father. There is Jesus, whom John, in his very unique and expressive way, calls the Word. This Word, Jesus, John declared, is God. Jesus is God who existed in the beginning and was the creator of everything. And from that word, from Jesus, emanates life and light. In a few yet exceedingly meaningful uh, verses, John summarized history from the beginning all the way to the, the advent of God coming into the earth, entering the world as a human being. Then John advances it. He advances explaining this word, Jesus, the creator God, who gives life and light. He came into the world. And that's, again, I say Christmas. But God, the word, who became a human being, he was not recognized, John says. He was not recognized. He was not received by his very own. Yet, all did not reject him. There's, there's, a, there's hope there. All did not reject him. Some did receive him. And they believed that the word was the true light and life-giving God. And about those believers, John made a very powerful declaration. They become children of God. Now, that's huge. It's big. It's enormous. It's an incredible dec declaration. And, and it would be huge to a Jewish audience. It'd be huge to the, the Hellenistic culture of, uh, of, of Rome at the time, which had been so influenced by the Greeks uh, in the first century. The, the Jews, they had this notion of God the Father. They did, and... They saw God as father overall. Again, it was kind of this broad brush generalization that all Jews were considered children of God. The Old Testament does have a couple of references to this effect that portrays God in the general sense of father overall. But to be a specific, unique, individual child of God, that, that was not their thinking. In fact, that was the accusation they brought against Jesus. He calls himself the son of God. Well, that's not just bold to the Jews. That was blasphemous. You can't do that. You can't say you are an individual son of God. And John's audience was not just Jewish culture, but it was also this Gentile believers, the, the Romans and, and the Greeks of the first century what was their culture? Well, they came from a culture that was pantheistic, all kinds of gods, the, uh, the Greek mythological gods. They were male, they were female, they had 
offspring. They were said to have these huge family trees, gods who gave birth to sons and daughters who were also gods. There was Zeus and Apollo and Poseidon, etc., and, and Phoebe and uh, Aphrodite, to, to name a few uh, of the female gods. Kings and emperors, they claimed divinity as offspring of these gods. Alexander the Great, he claimed that he was in the lineage of some of these uh, gods, uh, Achilles and Her uh, Heracles, those two, you know, he, Alexander the Great said, I came from these uh, gods. And then he said he was a direct descendant of Zeus Ammon, which was uh, Zeus in the Greek and Ammon was Egyptian and somehow they had come together and Alexander's like, I'm their direct son. I'm the direct son of this Zeus Ammon. Said he was a god. Julius Caesar, after he was assassinated, what did his, uh, what did his people do? They deified him. They said he was a god. Well, his son was Octavian, who was better known as Augustus. Augustus, the emperor at the time Jesus was born. And what did Augustus say? Well, I'm the son of the divine Julius. I'm the son of God. So this was kings, this was emperors, but not the common person. For a person, be it a Jew or a Gentile, to say, I am a child of God, this is it's like an audacious statement. To the common person, reading John's gospel, first century, they're blown away by this. This is a stunning opening. What are you talking about? To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. You gotta be kidding me. It's, I don't know if he's reeling them in. Like, you gotta read more here. This is truly incredible. Because you're not just children in some general sense. No, John elaborated. What did he write? Children not born of a human decision or a husband's will, but children born of God, not of natural descent. This is, this is big. You can be a specific child of God. He knows your name. You're unique. You're an individual. Now, that was the claim of kings and emperors. They didn't have this natural descent. No, I came from Zeus Ammon or whatever. For John to write this, that a common person could have this right to be a child of God, incredible. Now, if you raised your hand earlier and you said, yes, I got no doubt, you know what? According to John, you have made an astounding declaration. You have professed here this morning that you are born not of natural descent. That's, that's according to John's gospel, that's your affirmation. Well, if you weren't born a natural descent, then how were you born? Would it be unnatural? I don't know if unnatural is really the way to, to call it. Unnatural is kind of like a bird in a cage. They're out of their natural element and they're, they're stuck. Or unnatural is like a, a genetically modified organism. It's synthetic. You know, so that's why they tell us, stay away from that GMO corn. It's not natural. Don't touch it, right? It's unnatural. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a negative to say unnatural. But to be born not of natural descent, that's supernatural. See, supernatural is a better word. To be supernatural transcends nature. Now, some will tell you that's just, it's baloney. 
Supernatural does not exist. We only have the natural. Nothing can transcend or stand outside the physical, natural world. Many, many say that in this culture. That's the thinking of what I'll call naturalists, which can uh, encompass a huge population of people, be they atheists or evolutionists or whatever. They say there's nothing outside of the physical, natural world. Naturalists insist only nature, what you can experience with your senses. You can, if it can be seen, heard, smelt, tasted, or felt, that's it. That's all we got. Nothing else exists unless you can touch it, measure it. If it's some kind of particle, it, if it's a particle, it can be weighed, it can be measured, it has a mass, a length, width, a height. Well, you might say, what about a sound wave? We can't see it, but they can measure the amplitude, the wavelength, an atom. We can't see that, but, you know, we have electron microscopes that have figured that out. Everything exists in the natural, physical realm. If something can't be measured, if it can't be sensed, well, it doesn't really mean it doesn't exist. The naturalists will say, we just, we're not sophisticated enough. Science hasn't gotten us the instruments to, to measure those kinds of things. But no matter whatever that thing is, it's got to exist in the nat natural. It must be in this physical, natural world. That's what the naturalists insist. So what about the spiritual? Spiritual is a biblical term. And, and we could say it's supernatural. You're not going to find supernatural in the Bible. But you will find things that are supernatural, that transcend natural. And spirit is one of them. Spirit can't be measured with an electron microscope. It can't be measured in any real tangible way in, in this natural world. So it stands outside of nature. And because spirit is outside of nature... Many are going to just tell you it doesn't exist. Man, you're into some kind of, uh, you know, uh, fantasy. But, but to Christians, to us Christians, it does exist. The spirit does exist. God is spirit. And as uh, the creator of nature... He transcends it. He transcends. He is above and beyond nature. He stands outside of it. Why? Because he's supernatural. Those who deny God, those who reject this supernatural aspect, they'll tell you you're just, you're believing this fantasy stuff. God doesn't exist. That supernatural stuff does not exist because everything's got to be in the, the natural. C.S. Lewis, the, uh, the great uh, apologist, he wrote in his book called Miracles, what naturalism cannot accept is the idea of a God who stands outside nature and made it. Naturalism would say for every effect there was a cause. Now, if you take that idea just back to what John wrote at the opening line of his gospel, in the beginning, if you take this idea that every effect has to have a cause, take it back to the beginning. And what happens to, this, to the naturalist? What do they tell you? Well, they'll say, well, there was a big bang. There was a big bang. 
something out of nothing? Hello? Is that what you're telling me, Mr. Naturalist? Something out of nothing. How did that occur? What caused the Big Bang? If there was a Big Bang, there needs to be a Big Banger. See, naturalism gets confused at that point. But we accept it. We accept God who stands outside nature. He said, let there be light. Boom. We accept him as the one who invented nature. You know, as C.S. Lewis wrote, we have a God who stands outside of nature and made it. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. So to be born of God, to become a child of God, that is entirely supernatural, which makes it enormously bold to say, I'm a child of God. Because when you say, I'm a child of God, you are asserting that you were not born of human decision or natural descent, but you had a supernatural birth because you were born of God. And how was that made possible? It was made possible by Jesus, the Word, who in the beginning was God and created all things. And he came into the world. He became flesh. The supernatural became natural. Jesus became a man. He became a natural man. So that you and I, so that everyone who would receive him could experience the supernatural to be born of God. To be born again. That's later in John chapter 3. That's introduced. The creation account, if we go all the way back to the beginning, it states that God created mankind in his image. Now, unfortunately, that image of God within humankind, that image was marred. It, It was broken. And how did that occur? How so? Well, mankind rejected God very early on. They rejected their creator and turned against him. We have a word for that. A lot of people don't like it, and the word is sin. Sin has affected all of mankind, and there's not a single individual who is immune from sin. All have sinned. And sin made us rebellious and disobedient and prideful and judgmental. And, and it has induced hatred in people and prejudice and violence. And it leads to one place and only one place. Sin leads to death. Salvation from this sin offers an, an alternative to death. It offers eternal life. And, and it offers a way to return to God. As the Jesuit priest would say, there's, there's a necessity for that, to return to God. But it's, it's not going to happen for everyone just because. No, it's through Christ. That salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the supernatural God who entered the natural world. He received a natural body. And in that natural body, he received the penalty that you and I Deserved, and it was an excruciatingly painful, torturous event in his natural body that he experienced with all of his senses. He took that penalty so that we wouldn't have to. 
And that is truly good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Good news that was foretold hundreds of years before uh, Christ arrived. And that good news was made a reality when he stepped into this world. The good news is that all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, born of God. Again, the supernatural God, Jesus, entered the natural world so that the natural, us, could become supernatural. It's, it's immense. It's incredible. And how does that incredibleness, this connection to the supernatural, how does it bear out right now, here, in the, in the present? How does it bear out for you who raised your hand and you said, I'm a child of God? I heard a very well-known pastor preaching on this topic. And he preached that Christians have just as much access to the supernatural as Jesus. Sounds good. You know, with the right teaching and learning that you can take authority in the name of Jesus, you will have supernatural power to never be sick to never be in pain. In fact, this preacher went on to say, you'll never lack anything. You will be in abundance at all times, super abundance. After all, Jesus could multiply loaves and fishes. So can you. So if you have sickness, or you're feeling pain, or you're suffering lack, it's because you're still tied to the natural. You're not taking your God-given place in the supernatural and ex exercising your God-given authority. And you know, I've got something to say about that. It's nonsense. And it's hurtful. You know, I wonder if this pastor ever conducted a funeral for someone who died of cancer. You know, I wonder if he'd say to that family, hey, you know, your dear loved one, your dear father would still be with us if only he had listened to my supernatural series. It's hurtful. It hurts people. It, 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 it's, it's not biblical Christianity. And what's the testimony of the apostle Paul? One of the greatest apostles in the New Testament. Let's read a little bit of his testimony, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. Paul's testimony, he says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow, Paul the apostle, great apostle, Jesus uh, revealed himself to this man. He was knocked down. Paul was literally knocked down and blinded by Jesus. And then Jesus came to him and taught him the gospel. Now, when Paul was in the open sea, when he'd say, I was in the, uh, I spent a day and night in the open sea, 
You know, why didn't he take his God-given authority in Jesus' name and get up and walk on the water? Why didn't he? And how is it that Paul often went without food and he was hungry and he was naked? You know, I guess he should have just multiplied his food like Jesus. Evidently, Jesus forgot to tell him about all that authority he had to, to, to do this and overcome everything in the natural world. You know why Paul didn't do those things? Because it's unbiblical nonsense. We are physical beings in the natural world. Yet having a spiritual, supernatural birth, it is significant. Becoming a child of God, becoming a a, a child born of God is significant. But it doesn't transform the reality of living in the natural world. Now, we, we, we heard a little bit earlier an encouraging word. Jesus can heal you. He can heal what ails you. You know, be it, be it physical, uh, you know, be it emotional, whatever. God, through Jesus, he can heal you. Sometimes a doctor or a psychiatrist doesn't have the answer. Now, does that mean you should just ignore them? Does that mean you should never listen to them? Does that mean you should just have nothing to do with them? We live in the physical world. There's a balance here. Go to the doctor and go to Jesus. You know, Mary's here today. God bless you. You know, went to the doctor. Herman went to the doctor. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for Jesus. All right, let's, let's, let's make sure that we are, that we're receiving the truth. All right, don't just ignore a doctor and walk away. Go to them and go to Dr. Jesus too. All right, this Wednesday, we are gonna have a prayer time for people who are in need, of course. Come on. We don't not believe this. We believe it. But we are also here in this natural world. Let me, let me follow on with some of the other words of Paul the Apostle. Same uh, letter, 2 Corinthians, earlier on in the fourth chapter, he was writing about suffering. And he wrote this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Hello? Outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It outweighs the, the pain and the suffering of this life. So what do you do? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The supernatural, it's not about all the outward. It just isn't. The supernatural, it's not about what we see in the natural. That's true. But it's not about some nonsense teaching that you can live above pain and that you'll never, ever suffer and you'll never experience Trouble if you just exercise your authority granted by Jesus and rise above the natural and live supernaturally. You know what Jesus said? 
He said, in this world, you will experience trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. There's, there's a balance to living all of this out. Outwardly, we're going to feel pain. I'd love to just be, be saying, hey, I guarantee you, you'll never feel pain again. I can't do that. Outwardly, we will feel pain. We will suffer. We will have, as we sung about mountaintop experiences, yes, absolutely. We will have valley times too. We will experience it with all the natural senses. The supernatural is about the inward. And what is unseen, which is eternal. So what's huge about it? What's immense? What's incredible about being a supernaturally born child of God? I, I'm going to give you four quick points. I'm, I promise it's not going to be a four-point sermon that's going to run another hour. I promise that. Four quick points. One, you know, there's an inward transformation. The term supernatural birth or spiritual birth, it implies a profound transformation that goes beyond the, the, the natural or, or human realm. It does. It signifies what? A new beginning, a fresh start. Life is no longer tied to only this natural world. We're, we're, our culture wants you to believe that your life's only tied to this natural world. And so it makes sense to try to get out of the pain and the suffering. But when you're beyond this natural world, like Paul says, it's light and momentary because there is something else. Believing in Jesus is a transformative experience that changes your fundamental identity. It's no longer 100% natural. You overcome the darkness of death because you've received the life-giving light of Jesus, the light of all mankind. And, and two, now you, you enter into a divine relationship. That's, again, supernatural, this idea of being uh, an uh, a unique individual child of God. It underscores the concept of personal and intimate relationship with your creator. How about that for incredible? A parent-child relationship in the best possible loving way. God's not a dysfunctional father. He's not. He's not a dysfunctional parent, but he is the perfect loving father. Believers are not just followers of Jesus, but they're embraced as a specific Member, a unique individual in the family of God. And that's through Jesus, the one and only way. The one and only way, have I said it enough today? The one and only way to return to God. A believer's reconciled with God and they return to God and become part of God's family. Number three, grace and faith. This transformation that occurs, it's, it's understood in the context of grace and, and faith. Because it's a response to grace by faith. It's not something earned through deeds. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't work hard enough to get it. It's received through faith. Faith in the sacrificial work, work of Jesus who took on our penalty. To all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name. There's the faith. He gave. And there's the grace. In two words, there's faith and grace. To all who believed in his name, faith. He gave a great gift, grace. 
He gave the right to become children of God. Again, it just it, it would blow away those first century people who read it the first time. Number four, eternal significance. Becoming a child of God carries eternal implications. It's beyond the natural. See, to the naturalist, there's a termination. You know, there is a finite to this life. You get to the end, and guess what? It's the end, but not with Christ. Uh-uh. Becoming a child of God carries eternal implications. It's not just about this life. And that's what Paul's saying about, you know, you're going to feel pain and trouble and trials in this life. Fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on what's unseen, the eternal. It's not about this life. It extends into this afterlife that emphasizes the hope of eternal life with God. That's a beautiful thing. And, you know, these, these four points, they're, they're in kind of an essence, if you will, a summary of becoming a child of God. And this is why Christmas is so incredible. Experiencing a supernatural birth and becoming a unique individual child of God through belief in Jesus Christ is profound. It holds immense significance. It speaks to a fundamental transformation of one's identity and gaining relationship with our divine creator. To know that, to know that you have been supernaturally born of God. Let that be a source of inspiration to you and purpose and a guiding force to how you approach everyday life. Fixing it. Fixing your eyes on the eternal. No daily lives that are fixed on what is not seen. Expressing outwardly that inward transformation. These are the practical aspects of uh, the outworking of this profound spiritual reality that you're a child of God. You, you can be assured that the natural it's light and momentary troubles. But it's achieving something as we go through this and we live this inward supernaturalness. It's achieving for those in Christ Jesus something far greater, something supernatural, something eternal, an eternal glory, eternity with Jesus Christ. So I just want to ask again at the, the, the close here, are you assured 100%. I'm a child of God. And, and if, you, if you can't answer, I, I, I said earlier, there's no wrong answer here. No is an okay answer. Like, no, I'm not sure. Do you want to be sure? I, I, I didn't see, I, I can't say I saw everyone and a hand that wasn't up. But if your hand didn't go up because it couldn't go up because your answer is like, I just don't know for sure. Do you want to leave here for sure? It's a beautiful thing. It's profound. It's huge. It is supernatural to say that you're born of God and you have eternal life. You have eternity assured. So... I just appeal to you, if you didn't raise your hand, to say, don't leave here without gaining that, without gaining that. To them that did believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, let's stand and pray.
And, and I'm just going to invite you if, you, if you, if you couldn't raise your hand, come on down here. Come on, let's talk. We'll come on to these, come, come forward and, and, and let's talk. Let's, let's reason it out. Let's talk more. Let's pray with you so that you leave here totally assured. Yes, yes, I am a child of God. I, I just, I, I put that out. That's an open invitation. Even if you, you know, even if you're like, maybe I'm a child of God. Don't leave here without getting it right. Thank you. Jesus, Jesus, you're an amazing God. We love you. And God, we just, uh, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you that you have given us this supernatural gift of life eternal. We are children of God when we've come to you and we believe that you took our sin. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. If, if there's any person in this room, anyone who just is struggling with that, I just don't get it. I can't get there. Lord, I'm praying right now you open that heart to, to just claim, yes, God, I know I've fallen short. I, I all have sinned and I want to turn from that and believe in Christ and his gift of salvation that he gave me. He experienced it all, natural world. He felt my pain. He took it for me. Ah, and I want to give him, I want to give him my life. I want to return to God. You want to return to God. Oh, if there's any in here that want to return to God, pray that. Pray that. Lord, I believe and I'll turn. Oh, thank you, God. And thank you for every hand that's assured, every hand that knows your promise and they love you and they know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. And God, I pray you'd help us as we leave to live, to live it, to fix our eyes forward and up on Jesus, what is unseen and outwardly expressed in this natural world. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your loving kindness. Bless us as we go, and we ask it, Father God, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.